Welcome to Donor Conception Conversations. This is the one podcast created exclusively for people who are planning to use donor conception to build their family or for people who have already built their family with donor conception. I'm your host. My name is Lisa Schumann. I'm a researcher, a therapist, and an expert in donor conception. And over my more than two decades of experience working both in fertility clinics and in my private practice, the Center for Family Building, I've met with thousands of donor-conceived individuals, children, recipients, and donors. And I have learned so much, and I'm here to teach you all that I've learned in this podcast. My guests and I will talk about everything that you need to know to have a better journey to parenthood. If it's about donor conception, we're going to talk about it. And today, I have a wonderful guest, a friend and colleague, Vicki Ferrara, who runs Worldwide Surrogacy and the Ferrara Law Law Group. She is founder and legal director of Worldwide Surrogacy. She leads the agency with a passion for law and the family formation process. She brings over 25 years of experience practicing assisted reproductive technology law and surrogacy law to help people make their dreams of a family come true, just as hers have. She and her spouse, Michelle Loris, have two sons. Vicki has been practicing assisted reproductive technology, surrogacy, and family law for many, many years and also manages her surrogacy agency. She's one landmark cases like in Connecticut and lectures around the world and was awarded the Lambda Award for Outstanding LGBTQ Community Service in 2016. So welcome, Vicki. Thanks so much for coming on. Maybe you can start by telling everyone a little bit more about you. I know I gave a little sketch of what your experience is. Maybe you could tell us a little more. Thank you so much, Lisa, and thank you so much for having me. I respect your work so much in the field and we've worked together for years as colleagues, and I'm so grateful for that experience with you. So as you said, I'm a lawyer. Uh, I'm also gay. I have a, a partner, a spouse, and we have the two children. And my first son, Sal, was born through donor conception. So Michelle and I used a, an anonymous sperm donor. That was 28 years ago. So uh, the law was kind of behind the times at that point. And we uh, picked a donor from a catalog at California Cryobank. We had some written information about him, but really nothing like what people have today. Now, today, people can know who the donors are. They can see videos and pictures. We did not even have a picture. But nevertheless, uh, we chose a donor and I was inseminated at a a clinic here in Connecticut and and became pregnant and Sal was born. And so that was um, my first uh, experience with having anyone having a baby through a donor because I did not know anyone at the time. It was so long ago. There weren't that many gay parents that I knew uh, who were going through this. So it was really quite amazing. And... I'm happy that I have that experience because I can tell people about it. My clients, I can share with them that I had a baby using a donor and I know what that's like. And also my second son, we adopted. So I have a child through adoption as well, which has been really interesting and something that I can share with people because I have a genetic child and an adopted child. So When people ask me, what is it like to have a non-genetic child? I know about that because I have Nick, 
who's adopted. And so interestingly in our family, I mean, we're all close, the four of us, but my genetic child, Sal, who Michelle adopted, is very close with Michelle. And over the years, they have had an amazingly close relationship. While my non-genetic child, Nick, my adopted son, he and I are very close. So the fallout of how our relationships went was that I kind of was closer to the non-genetic child than the genetic child, which I think is good for people to hear because yes. they can see that you can have this amazing parent-child relationship with a non-genetic child, maybe even more special than with a genetic child. And uh, for people who are thinking about donor conception, who are wondering what it might be like to have a baby with a donor, they can hear from me my personal experience. I really appreciate you bringing that up. And I, I, I want to hear more about your background, but I want to stop for a second because I think that's so crucial for people to hear and absolutely something that people worry about. And because also finances are tough for a lot of people, either exploring two surrogacy journeys because you want to have genetics from both parents, or if you're a lesbian couple wanting to each to use your genetics, doing this twice and or making embryos twice is very expensive. And not everyone has the uh, finances for that. And then they worry, well, if I just have one partner's genetics, what's that going to mean for me? Are people going to think, oh, this is their child and not my child? Am I going to feel less attached to this child? Am I going to feel less of a parent? And it sounds like this is a perfect example of, no, you know, you're just like all of us, we connect with people that we connect with, regardless of whether or not they're genetically connected to us. I think one thing that's really important um, is the legal safety and the legal work that we can do to make sure that families are stable. So in our, in our situation back in 1995, we lived in Connecticut, Michelle and I, and we could not do a second parent adoption. She could not adopt Sal at that point in time in Connecticut. And that did concern her. And it did concern me that she did not have any legal rights so um, I think we're so lucky to live in this time that the laws have evolved uh, in such a positive way for gay couples, straight couples, single parents. But back then, we actually were concerned about it. So what we did was we sold our house in Connecticut and we moved to Massachusetts so that we could actually do the second parent adoption there. So that would provide wow. Michelle with uh, her legal parentage and it would stabilize our family. And it was really important for us. It does change things, even though she was parenting Sal and we did acknowledge that we were the two parents and we did have a good relationship. So there wasn't any concern about us breaking up. But nevertheless, if something happened to me, she wouldn't have any legal rights. And I don't know if my family would have stepped in and, and, and made some kind of trouble. So that was so important to us and such a relief when we could get that done. So I say that now because uh, we have to be so grateful that even though we still have challenges in our world today, we have really come a long way with the with the law and the evolution of the law. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that, Vicky. That is incredible. Well, also, what a testament to your beautiful marriage that you know you're you're willing to move states so that you can both have, be uh, legal parents, and um, that's fa fantastic. Really amazing. Yeah, wow. it was totally an experience, and. Um, 
And it was, it's something that I like to talk about to, to let people know how important it is to be able to follow through with the legal matters that we have to follow through with to stabilize all families, straight families, gay parent families, single parents. So while we're on that topic, as you're aware, there's, you know, a lot of legal murmurings and overt horrible things happening in many states now. And a lot of anti-gay issues are starting to come to the fore. And um, some of it is, you know, seriously problematic, not just legal legally, but people are getting death threats and horrible things are happening, right? And so, you know, you probably see, I know you see people from all over the world. How do you manage the, with those families who have these difficult situations where maybe they're in a state that's not as friendly and they're stuck and, and, you know, here you are telling them, you know, I really would prefer you both to be legal parents of this child and, and in your state, you need to do that, but it's going to be a problem. That must be very hard for people to, you know, not everyone's as courageous as you are to move to another state. That's incredible. Well, as a lawyer, I always have to figure out what is the best path to establish the most legal certainty and safety for the parents and the family. So in with egg donation and sperm donation, it's very evolved in almost all states. There are good laws protecting people who use egg donors and sperm donors that they can become the legal parents of their babies. And then there's also, uh, there's also protection for the donors so that they don't have responsibilities or liabilities for babies that are born using their eggs or sperm. So we, so we first look at that. But in the case of non-genetic parents, let's say through surrogacy, if they're using an egg donor for gay couples, especially these days, we have to look really carefully at the law of the state where they have their birth. And if there's any question on the type of judgment that they get or, or type of paperwork that they get as parents, then we have to advise them to do a co-parent adoption, which is always tricky because you never want to tell someone that they have to adopt their own baby. The family sees themselves as parents, the two parents, but now you're like, okay, because as the issue you brought up about gay rights and the possibility of having more infringement on gay rights, we have to tell uh, people you, you have to come home to your home state, or if you can do it in the state of birth, to go through a co-parent adoption to completely and absolutely establish the legal parentage of the non-genetic parent. So that's a crucial thing. Also yeah. for straight families, I, I was just uh, consulted by a couple that is possibly going to use a friend as a surrogate. And the friend uh, lives in Louisiana, which is not a good state for surrogacy or non-genetic parentage. And in the, in that case, this woman, it's a straight couple, she would have to come back to Connecticut and adopt the, her baby. And as a matter of fact, in that case, this is not a donor case. She was going to use her own egg. So now we're telling someone, no. you have to come back to Connecticut. And even though the baby's born with your egg, you have to do this adoption. So she was not at all happy to hear that, but that's the way and the only way that we could protect her because Louisiana is such an unfriendly state uh, for assisted reproduction. Oh my gosh. So everyone who's listening, this is so, you know, so important to remember how you really need to cross your T's and dot your I's and make sure that you get good counsel when you go through any reproductive technology to make sure that you're doing everything you can ahead of time. 
because you don't want to have problems later. Definitely. I mean, the two important things are what you do and what I do. I'm always telling people if they're going to use a donor to have counseling with a mental health professional. And I think we refer a lot of people to you because you have to uncover the stones, right? You have to be like, well, how is this going to be for us? How will it affect our relationship? How will it affect our uh, connections with our baby? What will we tell our family? Will we tell our family? Will we not tell our family? And for me, I have to uh, make sure they have a contract. If you're going to use a donor, especially an egg donor, whether known or unknown, you have to have a contract. We have to put into the contract what are your rights and obligations as to the embryos you're going to create. So an issue might come up like the donor only wants to donate to you, the parents, and they don't want their eggs to go outside of your family. So that might be in the contract that the parents can't use, can't donate the embryos or donate the eggs to anyone else. Or maybe the donor's fine with that. So then we put that in the contract that the parents do have that authority. But the contract is really important to establish uh, all of these really important things. The law is clear. I mean, for most for the most part, in many states, we can count on the law to say the parents have the rights as parents and the donor does not have the rights or obligations. But still, there are other things. What about contact? What about the protection of the child uh, so that the parents are the sole authority as to when and how to tell the child or children that their donor conceived or if they tell the child? I mean, of course, we all think that they should tell the child, but some people may have a position that maybe they're not going to right away. But it's really important that we put these things in the contract. Now, uh, today, we mostly have Known donors. There's a trend. We talked about this earlier. There's a trend in egg donation, mainly sperm donation. Still, a lot of people get the donors from the cryo banks and they're more anonymous. Not all the time, but most of the time. Whereas in egg donation, it's the trend is toward more openness, um, more known donors. There's actually laws uh, evolving now. I think Colorado has a law where The donor has to be known to the parents and the parents have to be known to the donor. So you can see that even the law is evolving toward this known uh, open donor situation. Yeah. And I think in many ways, we're kind of following the same trajectory that, you know, adoption experienced, right? In the beginning, everybody was, you know, worried about telling the families and don't tell the families and, you know, let's have a closed door situation. We're going to burn the records. And then it became, as it is now, completely open. And so it seems like we're really moving in the same direction. And it really gives people the ability to have whatever relationship they want to have, right, with their with their donor, which is great because no two people are exactly alike and no two relationships are exactly alike and everyone has to figure out what's right for them. But regardless of what they do, they need to make sure that they have legal documentation because you just never know in life, right? And, and, you know, one of the things that I know you guys talk about a lot is you, which patients kind of come back to me and say, oh, I never thought about it, that they're thinking, start to think about even guardianship right? Because, you know, you have a known donor and you have, maybe you have the family involved and they know the donor and everyone's happy. And then God forbid something goes wrong, who, who's going to take this child? And, you know, you want to make sure that if you don't want the donor to have any rights to take that child, that you're going to spell that out. That's a really interesting point, And it brings something into my mind about people who use 
donors that they know. So let's say a sister using a sister as an egg donor or a brother and sister using a brother or brother-in-law as a sperm donor or using a good friend as an egg donor. And then sometimes they come to me and they say, well, if something happened, I want it in the contract that if something happens to me or us, I want my sister, the donor, to have guardianship of the child or children. And I always say to them, we're not going to do that in the egg donation contract. We're not going to convert the donor to a guardian in your egg donation contract. It has to be completely clear, 100% clear that she or he is a donor and you are the parents or parent. So if we blur the lines, that's where we're going to have problems with um, legalities, problems in courts where the courts won't really know, like, well, is it a guardian? Is it a relative or is it a donor? So we have to really categorize these types of people as donors. If later on in life, the parents want to make a will and say, all right, now I'm going to have, I'm going to name my sister as the guardian of my child or children if I die. That's okay. They can do that later on, but we cannot put that into the, into the egg donor or sperm donor contract, no matter how close they are, no matter how well they know each other. I'm so glad you brought that up, Vicki. And, you know, for everyone listening, this is so important to think about because people, you know, sometimes get offended and they say, well, you know, I'm so close with my sister. And, you know, how can you say that? Because I trust her with my life. And, you know, but we never know what can happen in life, right? We don't know that the sister's not going to marry somebody you don't like or, and, you know, move to Canada or, you know, do things that you don't want or maybe that, that your husband or wife wouldn't want, right? And so we don't know what's going to play out. And I think what you're saying is so important to really make sure that for this process, it's very clear. And then if there's something else that you want to do separate and apart from this process, that's fine, but make sure this process is clear. God forbid something goes wrong. And people, of course, never think they're going to get divorced anyway, right? right. I mean, who, who gets married thinking they're going to get divorced? But 50% of the people do. So we don't know what's going to happen. And people have to protect themselves from the beginning. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's why we have to tackle the psychosocial issues and the legal issues from the beginning, because as you so well pointed out, we, the unpredictability of the future, do people have a falling out? Do they you know, have a breach in their relationship? Is that going to cause a problem? The whole thing with um, egg donation, in, even in straight couples, I had one case once where to see if I can remember the facts, but the couple was married and straight couple and she gave birth to twins using her own eggs and a sperm donor. And the husband was the father by virtue of being the husband and by virtue of fathering the children until they got a divorce when the children were young, they got a divorce at two years old. And she did everything in her power to get him out of the picture so that he would have no rights to the children. This was about maybe like 15 years ago or 20 years ago. And so the courts were not up to speed on some of these issues. And they were like, she had a lawyer that was trying to convince the court that this father should not have any rights to these children. I represented him and we had to do all kinds of things to show the court that he is the father 
And it doesn't matter that they used a donor. They were married. He was the presumed parent. She uh, held him out as the father. But it took a lot. It took a lot to ultimately, um, we had to have a trial. We had wow. a brief, all kinds of uh, law from all around the country to finally establish that he did retain his parental rights. It should have been a no-brainer. And in today's world of the law, it would be a no-brainer. He'd be the father. We wouldn't have all this dispute in the court. But it, it was a really difficult case. And I think the father at one point almost gave up. He was like, well, I'm not, I can't do this anymore. But we ultimately prevailed. But it shouldn't have been that hard for him. That's terrible. That is rough. Yeah. There's so many more of these cases. So many more. So yeah. many more. And the other thing we, we, we talked about a little bit earlier is transparency. And, you know, you and I worked on on a case together. We were talking about a case together where a couple came in and they said they were a couple and they weren't married. And that was it. And then after they had a child, one of the people came back and with their partner and said, I'm married to this person. And we said, wait a minute, how come you didn't tell us that you were married? And they said, well, I wasn't married to that one, but I am married to this one. And they had already established everything with this other partner. They used a donor. They decided that they were going to make embryos. They had the embryos frozen. And now all of a sudden they, wa they want to rewind everything and say, okay, now I'm going to have a baby with this partner and I we're going to be you know, married partners. So everything got so confusing and it, and it was almost impossible to kind of unravel and rewind everything at that point. So it sounds like if they had been transparent in the beginning and said, I'm married to this person, but I also want to have a baby with this person. And that's a whole different, you know, ball of wax psychologically. You know, is this the right family formation for them and, you know, all of that. But if it happens to be that they all want a co-parenting agreement together, that needs to be upfront. Definitely. It, I mean, it's so important that we tell people, just give us all the facts because the only way that we can protect you is to have all the facts so that we can put the right legal pieces in place. And also it's the protection for the clinics and the doctors and the professionals because the clinics can only do so much without legal clearance. And if they don't have the proper legal clearance, then it's, it's jeopardizing what they're doing for people too. So not only that, um, in terms of protecting the, the couple or the families or the parents or the children, it's also that the clinics need to know what's going on. The lawyers need to know what's going on so we can do our jobs right and properly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There is a thing now in, in the law that allows for, uh, poly parenting. It's not very common, but there are situations where there are three parents or more, but most mm -hmm. of the time it's three parents who are parenting a child or children and they can all three be on the birth certificate. So it could be three men or two women and a man or and not that they all have to be married. They can't all be married. That would, of course, be polygamy, but they can be parents. So that's another issue that we're all trying to, to deal with and figure out. I had a, at one of the men having babies conferences, there were like three men who I was consulting with that were in relationship, living together, and they wanted to be the three uh, parents of the child or children if they had a baby through surrogacy. They didn't become my clients. I don't know what 
they're up to, but it was a first for me. I'd have to figure out legally what we would have to do for them. But yet we're seeing so much more of this, right? Like where you have known donor or polyamorous relationships or situations where people are finding their donors on the internet or, you know, somebody using a cousin or relative for a donor. So it does, it does get more problematic legally, I suspect. Totally more complicated. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's possible to do this, but it would definitely require really clear cut, concrete uh, legal documents so that if something happens to the relationship, the child is protected, the, the parents' rights are protected. So we, we're always uh, concerned about that. So it sounds like, Vicki, you know, what you're saying is you really help people be clear about what their intentions are because so many people kind of go into these things and think, oh, you know, we're, you know, a couple and we're, you know, maybe a lesbian couple and here's our best friend who's a guy who wants to donate sperm to us and he's going to be the dad sometimes and, you know, sometimes he won't. And, you know, and he's going to be visiting the kids and we love him so much because he was my roommate in college or whatever. And we're sure everything's going to be beautiful and we're just going to figure it out. Right. I don't mean to yeah. smile, but it's, it's so true. Yeah. And I think I had one recently where I had a woman come to me and say she had a boyfriend and he wanted to be the father, but he only didn't want any rights. So he wanted to be a donor, but he still wanted to father the child, uh, be the parent, but be considered a donor. And I said, I, that's not going to happen in terms of any legal document that we can prepare. You have to decide, is he going to be a father or is he going to be a donor? I don't care what you do later when the baby's born, but right now, if you want a donor, we call him a donor. So people do have these pie in the sky ideas. And that's where we come in to say, we like to protect you and this is how we'll do it. You can either agree or not agree to our our advice, but there has to be a path forward that's going to be sound in the eyes of, of the law. Yeah. And people can't really think about that, you know, when they're feeling like so warm and fuzzy about these relationships, it's really hard to do that. I had a woman once who had a known donor and she wanted him to be the father. So they got into this agreement together. And now as they've both, you know, grown, they have separate partners, they have different lives. And this man is giving her a hard time about which soccer team to that the kid can join. And I don't really like this religious school. And I really don't think he should see a psychiatrist, even though he has ADHD. And it's become such a nightmare for her. But he's the father. He's the father. So he can call the psychiatrist and say, I'm the father, I fire you. And that's it. And she can't, you know, what can she do? She's, he's the father. So, you know, we, we like to be so warm and loving about this warm and loving relationship. But in reality, there's a lot of things that can happen. And we really have to kind of think through um, all of those things. And it sounds like you help get people's feet on the ground about it. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and I know that you do too. I mean, ultimately, um, sure, we want to protect the parents and make sure they know what they're doing, but we're thinking about the child or the children, right? I mean, ultimately, yeah. like you're going to bring a child into this world and, 
let's try to do the best thing for this child. So if people are co-parenting and they might break up, then they do need a co-parenting agreement or they have to be counseled that, hey, if you break up, you're going to need to get a family lawyer to, to help you with the custody and the visitation rights and the, the who's going to do what and who's going to pay for what. But this takes us into the whole world of family law and divorce law and, and child custody law. And it's so sad in so many cases for the children. So people have to be thinking of that ahead of time. Like if something happens, we're going to put the child first. We're going to make sure the child is cared for properly, not put the child in the middle of our own personal dispute. People don't always think like that, but you have to tell them that they, they should. I think that some sometimes, and maybe you have the same experience, people feel like, well, you know, I have a rela- loving relationship with my sister, my cousin, my best friend, whoever, and we love each other. So of course it's going to be great for the kid. You know, of course everything's going to work out well for our child because, you know, we're, we're creating this, you know, union with love. And so what else do we need? But people don't really think about the fact that people change over time and situations change. And mm-hmm. as you and I know as parents, you know, you can have challenges with your kids that really, you know, brings your relationship to task because as parents, you have to really stick together and make some tough decisions about things sometimes. And, and it can be really hard, particularly if you're, you're not in a union, right? If it was, it's hard enough being married to somebody and being lifetime partners and saying, we're going to do everything together and we love each other. But when you're two people who have separate lives you're bringing in so many more relationships, relatives, friends, you know, so many more voices into this mix. It can really, you know, move things sideways. I think um, that's so true. And it's so important for people to understand that complications can happen. And that's why I think what you do and what I do is so important. And we hope that people will listen to us, that they have to address these issues from the get-go. They have to get... um psychosocial counseling uh, together, the donor does, the parents do, they have to get legal counseling together, and the legal pieces have to be put in place. It's just crucial. It's just absolutely crucial. It's not like we're trying to sell our wares, you know, like it's not like that. It's just like, this is just what you have to do in order to navigate the world of having children through assisted reproduction and to be um, safe and sound in your family. Absolutely. That is a, a good note for us to end on, I think, today, Vicki. So thank you so much. These are wonderful words of wisdom, and I hope everybody out there is uh, taking notes because there's so much good information here, and I really appreciate you coming on today, Vicki. I also want to mention that Vicki is also a musician, a very talented musician, so you can find her music on Spotify, and where else can we find your music? Oh, YouTube. Um, YouTube. Yep. Just uh, look up uh, Vicki F. And thank you so much, Lisa, for mentioning that because it's such a fun, important part of my life. And thank you for having me. I really enjoyed talking with you. I, I always enjoy collaborating with you. So thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. And hopefully you'll be back on soon and we can talk some more. That'd be awesome. And for everyone out there, um, I just want to say thank you for coming. And um, if you need more information, you can get Vicki at um, Worldwide Surrogacy or where else, Vicki? Yeah, uh, you can look me up, Victoria Ferrara in Fairfield, Connecticut. You could Google my name and find uh, the website for the law firm or the surrogacy agency. And I'll be happy to provide um, advice or counsel to anyone who has questions. 
Okay. And thank you so much for all of you who hung in there with us. I think you'll always get um, good information from my wonderful guests. They're great. And please subscribe because that's the way we keep going. And if you want more information, you can go to familybuilding.net. We have lots of resources there as well. And uh, subscribe to our newsletter so you can get ongoing information and make sure that you tune in again. We have more to teach. Thanks for coming.